0: We're going to focus on some of the evidence that provides reasons to believe that the Bible is true. That there is an all-powerful being who created all things, including us, as opposed to believing that the universe came into existence by chance or by coincidence. And evidence that it was in fact the God of the Bible. Here's our outline of what we hope to present. Evidence for Intelligent Design evidence from history, geography, and archaeology, evidence from fulfilled Bible prophecy. And we can really only touch the surface of the evidence in this presentation, but hopefully our limited consideration of these things will make sense to you and encourage you to learn more about the evidence for creation and the Creator that the Bible describes. There is evidence that we see around us, from the vast array of stars in the heavens right down to the smallest insect, the world itself provides evidence of the hand of a powerful and intelligent creator. To King David, looking up at the stars in the night sky 3,000 years ago, was evidence that the one who created them was very powerful, and yet caring toward those that believe in him. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Again in the words of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The Bible asserts that observing the world itself provides evidence for the existence of a creator when we consider the complexity of the vast universe, we may agree that it could not have come into existence out of nothing purely by chance. In the words of the Apostle Paul, his invisible attributes, namely his divine power, rather his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So the Bible claims that there is evidence for belief in a creator based on observing the things that have been created. It also claims that God's power and divine nature are not just hinted at, but have been clearly perceived from the earliest of times in seeing the things that have been made. So much so that those who observe what is made and yet choose not to believe are left without excuse this concept is also seen in the words of Job but ask the beasts and they will teach you and the birds of the heavens and they will tell you or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you and the fish of the sea will declare to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this of course the fact that the Bible claims that God created everything is not necessarily evidence that he did The evidence comes when we recognize that based on what has been made, it could not have happened any other way. We will quote from a book called Wonders of Creation, The Works of the Divine Designer by David Burgess. The book calls attention to the many aspects of the universe that attest to the wisdom and intelligence of the one that created it. Everything about the earth affirms the wisdom and purpose of its creator. The earth teems with life of every kind, and an immense variety of organisms is found in every type of habitat, from the deepest ocean trenches to the tops of the mountains. The perfect balance and harmony of the earth's climates and seasons, the wonders of plant and animal life, the vast seas and sea life, are all indications of intelligence rather than random occurrence. The closer we look at the works of creation, the more complexity we find. And the more complexity we find, the stronger the evidence is that it is the work of an infinitely intelligent designer. We could cite a huge number of examples, but we choose one example from the human body, the ear. Of all the senses of the human body, none is more important or remarkable than our hearing. The ear, which is the organ of both hearing and balance, has an intricacy and perfection of design which has caused it to be described as a miracle of natural engineering. Like the other sense organs, the ear works so automatically, without requiring any conscious direction from ourselves, that it is only when something begins to go wrong or function less well that we begin to appreciate its marvels. The human ear can apparently distinguish a third of a million different tones. When working properly, it can register a crash of thunder, or the rustle of leaves, the roar of a crowd, or the sigh of a loved one. Yet the entire delicate mechanism of the inner ear would fit inside a pea. The ear comprises three main sections. The outer ear, comprising folds of cartilage and skin, leads to the ear canal. It's the receiver that collects sounds and transmits them to the middle ear via the eardrum to vibrate at different speeds. The middle ear is a small cavity between the eardrum and the inner ear, and it contains a chain of three tiny linked movable bones, the ossicles, which have names describing their shapes, the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. The base of the stirrup fills the oval window, which leads to the inner ear. The ossicles are vibrated by the drum and transmit the sound energy from the outside air to the fluid in the inner ear. Although the middle ear is cut off from the outside by the eardrum, it is not airtight. In order to equalize the pressure on both sides of the drum, it is provided with a ventilation passage known as the eustachian tube, which runs into the back of the nose and opens when we yawn or swallow. The inner ear is an extremely intricate set of structures deep in the bones of the skull. The front part, known as the cochlea, coiled like a small shell within the temporal bone, contains large numbers of microscopic hairs which vibrate within the cochlear fluid and stimulate nerve cells according to the frequency of the sound vibrations. Sensory impulses from these cells are sent via the auditory nerve to the brain. It is significant that the most sophisticated modern electronic hearing aids cannot completely reproduce the performance of the ear itself in terms of dynamic range, range of pitch, ability to distinguish sounds by type and direction and so on. This fact alone points to the perfection of design inherent in the ear. As amazing as the complexity of the ear's structure is, it forms only part of the story of hearing, because it is in the brain that the interpretation of the vast range of sounds takes place. From the cochlea, the vibrations collected by the nerve fibers pass along the auditory nerve to structures known as the medulla and the thalamus at the base of the brain, and from there to a special area of the cortex known as the superior temporal gyrus involved in the perception and interpretation of sound. In ways that are still largely unknown, we then are able to distinguish and interpret the many sounds which surround us every day. The complex structure of the ear and its connections in the brain function as an integrated system to provide both hearing and balance. Scripture is emphatic that this intricate design is the handiwork of God. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. What is remarkable is the number of essential elements in the chain of structures in the ear that convert sound vibrations into meaningful sounds. If any one of these structures were not present or was not perfectly formed, then the system would not function. This implies that the evolution of the complete system in small steps is really impossible. Only a system designed as a complete system could perform the function of hearing which is so vital to humans and animals alike. In the Bible, the ability of the Lord Jesus to instantly give hearing to the deaf, for example in Mark 7 verses 32 to 37, is testimony to the Creator's power given to His Son. And the words of the prophets provide assurance that that same power will be used for good in the future Kingdom on earth that the Bible promises. Speaking of that time, Isaiah says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Hearing is sometimes used in the Bible As a metaphor for people's response to the gospel the lord jesus had to acknowledge with sadness that the people's ears of the nation of israel were closed to his message but to those who did respond like his disciples he was able to say blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear the ear It's just one of the many marvels of the human body that testify to the wisdom and the power of God, the creator, the intelligent designer. We now move on to the evidence from history, geography, and archaeology. While the Bible does not go into great detail about the history of all nations of the world, it does go into some detail about one nation in particular, the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation and the nations that came into contact with Israel as well as the world empires that came to power and influence in the Middle East in Bible times. The history described by the Bible is consistent with the evidence discovered by archaeologists. The Bible mentions many cities, towns, and geographic features of the areas in which the events took place, and those physical locations still exist today and help to confirm our belief that the Bible record is true. To mention a few of them, the Bible tells the history of the people of Israel, beginning with Abram, or Abraham, whom God called to move away from his home in Ur of the Chaldees, which is located today in southern Iraq, and travel to a new location. The excavations began as early as 1854 and continued periodically as ruins were tentatively identified with Ur. From 1922 to 1934, additional excavations confirmed this identification, and also discovered that the Ur Babylon left behind was a flourishing and highly civilized city with comfortable houses and a huge temple tower, or ziggurat, dedicated to the worship of the moon god. Historians had long expressed doubts about the city of Ur mentioned in the Bible in connection with Abraham, but the archaeologists' findings provide evidence that the Bible record is accurate. When the people of Israel were brought out of bondage in Egypt and journeyed into the wilderness they were led to Mount Sinai where Moses was given laws and commandments by the angel of God. This geographic feature spoken of in the Bible is an actual place that exists in the Sinai peninsula today. As the people of Israel were led into their promised homeland, they crossed over the Jordan River. It figures as a prominent feature in the Bible record. It was where Jesus himself was baptized. The Jordan River is a geographic landmark in Israel today. When the people of Israel came into the promised land, they were gathered to a place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been before them to Shechem, located at the base of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. It was here that the people of Israel were gathered by Joshua to hear the blessings they would receive for obedience and the curses they would receive for disobedience. It was very close to where Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter 4. The Palestinian city of Nablus is situated between the mountains today and the remains of Shechem are still there. The Dead Sea was called the Salt Sea in the Bible, but it's still there, and it's still very salty. The Temple Mount is the place where Abraham offered his son Isaac in Genesis 22. It's the place where David reigned as king. It's the place where Solomon built the Temple in Jerusalem which was later sacked and destroyed as the people of Israel were taken away into captivity. It's a place where Jesus came to teach the gospel to the people of Israel and to the religious leaders, but was rejected. History and archaeology agree with the Bible record, and today the Temple Mount still exists and is at the center of religious and political tension. The Sea of Galilee is the place where Jesus taught and healed many people where he walked on water and stilled the storm. It's one of the geographic landmarks connecting the events recorded in the Bible to actual locations existing today. Capernaum is the location where Jesus stayed during his time in Galilee. It's located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was where Peter lived and where Jesus performed many miracles, one of which was that he healed us a Roman centurion servant in Luke chapter 7. This centurion had built the people of Capernaum a synagogue, as we're told in Luke chapter 7, verse 5. The ruins from the foundation of this synagogue still exist today. Above it are the ruins of a third century synagogue that was built right on top. Ephesus is located today in western Turkey. And it's where the Apostle Paul preached the gospel, and where an assembly of believers was established. The city was famed for the nearby temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The ruins of Ephesus are still there today, a popular tourist location. Corinth is another ancient city located in Greece, where the gospel message was taught by Paul, and where a first century church was formed. Ancient Corinth was one of the largest and most important cities of Greece, and its ruins are visible today. In Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul was on his journey to Rome by ship, and when fair havens on the south side of Crete proved to be unsafe for the winter, the Alexandrian grain ship that Paul was aboard set out for Phoenix, which would have provided a safe shelter Initially, they sailed under a gentle wind from the south, but when it turned into a powerful northeast wind, the ship was blown off course and never reached Phoenix, but the harbor is still there today. On that same journey to Rome, when after sailing from Malta, Paul reached Italy in Acts chapter 28, and he came ashore at a place called Puteoli, where he was met by the Christian believers from that area. It's located near Naples on the western coast of Italy, about 110 miles south of Rome. The Roman colony of Puteoli was established in 194 BC, and it became the largest transit port for grain ships from Alexandria and other ships from the whole Roman Empire. The modern city there is Pozzoli. Patmos is a small Greek island in the Aegean Sea, the location where the Apostle John received the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a real place. and Many Christians make pilgrimages to the island to see the cave of the Apocalypse, where John is said to have received his revelation, although the Bible says nothing of, about this cave. The island of Patmos, however, does exist. And these are just a few of the geographic locations mentioned in the Bible which still exist today and they help to confirm from history and geography that the Bible record is true. The ruins of hundreds of ancient locations in Israel have been excavated and prove that the locations described by the Bible really did exist. One somewhat recent example is a ruin called Kirbit el-Makater Based on the archaeological evidence found, based on the location of the site, the topography of the site, and the surrounding area, and the age of the ruins, the site is thought to be the city of Ai, defeated by Joshua, and the army of Israel is recorded in Joshua chapter 8. The biblical account provides a very detailed description of how Joshua and his army were instructed by God to attack the city, and the location, the topography, and the age of the site fits the biblical description very closely. Kerbet al is located a- approximately nine miles north of Jerusalem, just east of Bethel. There's a very deep valley to the south and west between Bethel and Ai, where the ambush force hid. There's a militarily significant hill to the north, where Joshua would have set up camp, with a valley between them and the city. The shallow valley uh, is where the small Joshua and a small force spent the night before the attack. It was a fortified city. There was a gate found on the north side just as Joshua 8 describes. And there is evidence that the city was burned with fire just as the Bible describes. So this is a very significant discovery that provides evidence that the Bible account is true. Many other archeological discoveries have been found which also help to confirm the scriptural account and we'll mention a few from the Old Testament. The Cyrus cylinder was found in the ruins of Babylon in 1879. It commemorated Silas the Great's, Cyrus the Great's capture of Babylon and his subsequent restoration of the city The date of writing is between 539 and 531 B.C. The declaration by Cyrus the Great describes how he allowed people captured by Babylon to return to their homelands and rebuild the temples to their gods. There were various nationalities of people taken captive to Babylon in addition to the Jewish people and the inscription on this ancient cylinder confirms the policy of Cyrus that allowed the exiles to return to their settlements and make permanent sanctuaries to the gods of the exiled peoples. It supports the biblical account of Cyrus who was named over a hundred years before his birth in Isaiah 44 verse 28 as the one who would allow would allow the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And it supports the decree of Cyrus allowing the exiles to return to Jerusalem at the end of the book of Second Chronicles and the beginning of the book of Ezra. Also known as the Misha Inscription, the Moabite Stone is a monument discovered in Jordan in 1868, recording the acts of Misha, the king of Moab, dating to about 840 BC and describing the same events recorded in 2 Kings chapter 3, where Misha, the king of Moab, rebelled against the king of Israel after the death of Ahab. The inscription confirms the biblical accounts, and also some of the details, such as Misha being a sheep-breeder. It also contains the name of Yahweh, the god of the people of Israel, and also the name of Chemosh, the idol of the Moabites. So the Moabite stone is an important discovery that helps corroborate the Bible account. There are a series of Babylonian chronicles, inscriptions on display in the British Museum. There is one called the Jerusalem Chronicle, recording events from 605 to 597 BC, that record Nebuchadnezzar's campaign against Jerusalem in 597 BC. The Jerusalem Chronicle provides a witness to events re- reported by the Biblical text and corroborates the events recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, first, Jerusalem being invaded but not destroyed in 597 BC, second, a king of Jerusalem, that is Jehoiakim, being deported into exile in Babylon, and third, Nebuchadnezzar replacing Jehoiakim with a king of his own choosing, the Bible gives the name as Zedekiah. The Bible records in 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 20 and in 2 Chronicles 32 verse 30 how prior to the Assyrian invasion of Judah in 701 BC that King Hezekiah built a tunnel under the city of David to bring the waters of the Gihon Spring to the southern side of the city. This tunnel was discovered in 1867. Related to Hezekiah's tunnel is the Siloam inscription. It was discovered in 1880 by a boy wading in the pool of Siloam, about 20 feet from the southern end of the tunnel. The inscription describes how the boring of the tunnel was completed. While the workmen were digging through rock, two teams working from opposite ends, while there were still three cubits to be dug through, they heard voices calling from each side as there was a crevice in the rock. The Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 9 records how Sennacherib laid siege to a town called Lachish as he was invading the land of Judah. The Lachish relief portrays this famous Assyrian attack this inscription portrays in detailed imagery the same account mentioned in the Bible and not only validates the Bible narrative but also adds details. The relief depicts the lachish fortress, siege weapons, Assyrian troops, and Jewish captives being led away from the city. The Ketef. Hinnom Scroll was found in 1979 in an excavation. It dates to the 7th century BC and it contains the text of the blessing recorded in Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 to 26. It is the oldest portion of scripture discovered to date. It's older than the Dead Sea Scrolls and it validates the fact that the Bible record is true. Few modern Biblical discoveries have caused as much excitement as the Tel Dan inscription. It furnished the first historical evidence of King David from the Bible. The Tel Dan inscription was discovered in 1993 at the site of Tel Dan in northern Israel. The inscription commemorates the victory of an Aramaean king over his two southern neighbors one being the king of Israel and the other being the king of the house of David. The king boasts that he, under the divine guidance of the god Hadad, vanquished several thousand horsemen from Israel and Judah before defeating both of his royal opponents. Unfortunately, the recovered fragments do not preserve the names of the specific kings of Israel and Judah that were involved. But it is a confirmation from archaeology that provides historical evidence of the House of David, which is commonly referred to in the Bible. So lastly, we will briefly consider evidence from fulfilled Bible prophecy. The Bible predicted events long ago that have been fulfilled in modern times. One such event is the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in our day in modern times. In the Bible God promised Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation that was chosen by God to inherit the land of Palestine or Israel and it would not only become a homeland for the nation but it would be an everlasting inheritance. This involves the promise of eternal life that the Bible promises for those who through belief and baptism into Christ Become Abraham's seed and heirs of the same promise. In the book of Isaiah, God told how the people of Israel were his own chosen people. He said, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. The biblical prophets foretold that Israel would be taken into captivity and scattered because of their disobedience, but that in the end, God would not reject them. He would regather them into their own land again. When the Lord Jesus Christ was rejected by his own people of Israel, he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, he was resurrected, He was given immortality, he ascended to the right hand of his father in heaven, and about 40 years later, in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and the people of Israel were scattered all over the world, and for about 1900 years, the Jewish people were dispersed among other nations, they were persecuted and hated, and were without a homeland. But God had promised to regather his chosen people and involve them in the ultimate fulfillment of God's purpose with the earth. Ezekiel chapter chapter 37 contains a vision that Ezekiel was shown, a vision of a valley of dry bones. The valley was full of bones, which represented the nation of Israel. The nation was as good as dead, But as Ezekiel watched, the bones came together, and sinews appeared and held the bones together. And then the bones were covered with flesh, and then the flesh was covered with skin. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And the Jewish people have miraculously returned to their national homeland, just as the Bible said they would. They have been reformed as a nation. But the vision goes on to say that there is more that God one day will breathe into them the breath of life and God will revive them spiritually. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the nation of Israel will finally recognize him as their long-awaited Messiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this is referring to Jesus Christ called the righteous branch who would come from the line of King David. When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, Then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. The Bible speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ returning to the earth to reign as king upon the throne of David and reigning over a world at peace peace on earth goodwill toward men not just a holiday sentiment but the future hope of believers so there is evidence to believe that the Bible is true there's evidence for an intelligent designer seen in the things that have been made the complexity and the harmony of things like the human ear could not have happened by chance They happened by design. There is evidence from history, geography, and archaeology that supports the belief that the Bible record is true. There's evidence from fulfilled Bible prophecy that provides reasons to believe the Bible. The most compelling Bible prophecies may be those that promise the resurrection of the nation of Israel in these latter days, because... We have seen it happen, and it indicates that the return of Christ is near. And so, we encourage you to consider the evidence. Thank you for watching.